In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. I am Luke Arredondo, the Director of Faith Formation. I'm joined in this episode with Dr. Stacy Tresenkos, Deanna Johnston, and Janet Smith. And on the podcast, we talk about how to navigate life in the light of faith. Uh, Dr. Janet Smith is our, our guest this episode. She was formerly the professor of moral theology at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. Uh, she's been a longtime defender of Humanae Vitae, a very popular Catholic speaker, and we're really happy to have her with us. She's also a board member of the St. Philip Institute, so we're delighted to talk with her today. Uh, welcome aboard, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This topic of our, our conversation today, um, we're, we're trying to go broad, but we're also trying to uh, bring up some specifics. Dr. Smith recently published an article in the National Catholic Register titled Black Lives Matter, What's a Parent to Do? And that, that's been just a theme with us very much lately, um, how to teach our kids the faith. We're getting ready to launch a an entire program of faith formation online classes for the whole diocese. And, uh, and the, the theme of this year with Bishop's annual appeal is faith within the family. So we're very focused on this issue. And we, we wanted to talk about the things that you were talking about in this article, Dr. Smith, about the movies and the suggestions that, that parents talk to their kids about these issues and watch movies and have discussions around the table and start to uh, do what we try to do here on this podcast, put the social issues on the table in the light of faith and discuss the eternal truths that the Catholic Church guards as they relate to our lives in this moment in history, in this valley of tears, it often feels like. Um, so could you, could you tell us a little more about, so you, you have all this expertise in talking to young adults about hard topics. Um, could you tell us a little more about that in your article? Yeah, and there's that, I mean, I, I taught college students for years and years, and um, they're a bit more reasonable sometimes. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I've been teaching seminarians for some time, so that's a, that's a special class of people in many respects. But um, college students were always interested in um, you know, thinking about things, at least at the colleges I taught, especially at the University of Dallas. But I've heard from many of my friends who have young, uh, young adults in their family, high school students or college students or even beyond, who um, are not able to engage in any kind of rational discussion about things like Black Lives Matters. Um, they think if you, you say anything, uh, even, you know, just disapproving of even rioting or, or, or destruction of property, that somehow this makes you a bigot. <laughs> and it's very hurtful for parents uh, to hear their children um, say that. And they've probably been reading some things about the, the global network of Black Lives Matters that tells us what some of the 
founding principles of the organization are that make them very nervous about it. And so all of a sudden you have this huge conflict between parent and child uh, where really there should be, there's more likely much more agreement um, than it appears on the surface. And often the, you know, per, certainly it's the young people can be very uh, um, arrogant and self-confident in their views and self-righteous. Uh, and the parents are trying to be deliberate, <laughs> though they might not appear that way because they might go in, off into some kind of ranting uh, about uh, the damage done by those who, some of those who are participating in the protest and the, and the riots. Uh, so it's a delicate thing uh, to do, but I really think it's worth it. It's really worth trying to get it right, even if you've gotten it wrong the first time around. <laughs> I think it's worth trying to bring it up again and say, you know, like, can, we, can, we, can we start all over again? Can we push the, you know, delete button and, and, and then move forward? Yeah, I've learned that kids never forget I've been held accountable for uh, the I I've apparently given to some of my kids. Um, the, and it is, it is difficult to talk with kids about some of these things. Um, I think all of us in the church just feel sometimes engaging with the culture. We sound like we're very hard and didactic and um, we're not understanding the situation that the rest of the culture is trying to navigate. Um, but it's oftentimes, and you know, Deanna, Deanna and Luke can say more about this, is oftentimes, you know, what I, what I have found with my own kids, and I think I mentioned this to you before, Dr. Smith, when we were talking about Black Lives Matter and we got all the way back, like you do in your article, to the issue of the Catholic view of personhood, my kids were able to seize on that, my teenage kids, they, they seized on that and they said, Mom, that's, that's the same thing where things go off the rails with abortion and um, in LGBT stuff. They, that's the same thing is that the people they encounter in public school and running around with their friends and, and online, social media, they fundamentally don't understand what we mean by person. And they just think it's, uh, you know, like a lump of cells. <laughs> Wonder why they think that. But they they don't have that grounding, and right. it seems like there's something very important there. Well, there is, and it's good. I mean, I, I love to talk to people who are right on the front lines um, and are talking to kids and, and, and really know what they're thinking. Because a lot of us live in, you know, no matter how old we get, we sort of live in the time that we lived in um, and think things are somewhat similar. And to, to hear what young people really are thinking, and that's that's so important, first of all, is to, to listen and hear what it is that they're they're saying. And if uh, you say they really don't understand the word person, um, I, I think I would, I'm not certain I go straight to the word person. I might talk more about the uh, notion of, of, of equality mm -hmm. and what is it that makes all people equal. And other pe people will, of course, say, well, it's just perfectly obvious that all people are equal. And you want to say, you know, in the history of mankind, that certainly wasn't true. Um, there's smarter people and richer people and more skillful people. And most countries, I mean, it was shocking to me when I was a young person. My mother was from, my grandmother was from a small country, this small country of Slovenia, um, you know, surrounded by other small, unnatural countries in a sense, been uh, after World War, after one of the World Wars. <laughs> Sorry for me. Um, they were split up, uh, Croatia, Serbia, Albania. Uh, and um, 
they you could tell that people i mean the united states has always been so free and so uh, not under any kind of assault from foreign countries and they always were they were under assault from i mean let's say my my grandmother had all sorts of prejudices against people who weren't of her nationality uh, they just weren't as good as her nationality it was very clear you should marry a slovenian you should only associate with slovenians my, i made a song was about um when my mother met my father, her father said, what good can he be then? He's not a Slovenian. That's a good joke. He's not, what good can he be then? He's not a Slovenian. Because that was their attitude. And um, so most people thought that people really just over the hill aren't as good as they are because they've been in, in, in fights with them and they come, come over the mountain and they steal your, your crops and your women and they don't have your songs and they don't have your literature and they don't have your art and they don't have your religion and yours is superior, and so who are they? This notion that all men are created equal is not one that has come easily to mankind, all right? That's something that, um, to be prejudiced, is actually a, a more normal um, uh, position because people like their own. They like their own people. They like their own food, their own country. It, it, patriotism is kind of a very natural thing to think your country is the best. Just like, you know, if you've got a good family, you tend to think it might be the best family because it's your family. So to point out to them that even this notion of equality is something, yes, can, if they step, say something like, well, it's perfectly obvious that all people are equal, you want to say, well, you know, I'm not sure that's true. Um, there always has to be a justification for things besides things being obvious. Obvious just means we all agree now, but it doesn't mean there doesn't have to be some justification for it. And the justification that's the, the only one that's ever been given uh, for mankind being equal really has to go back to God, that God gave us our rights. If it, Everybody wants to think we have rights. Americans love to talk about rights. I have a right to this and a right to that and a right to this. You want to say, where'd you get those? Where'd you get yeah. those rights? Who gave them to you? The government? Well, if the government gave them to you, the government can take them away. So when you talk about something being a fundamental human right, what does that mean? Did nature give it to you? Can nature give you things like rights? Um, again, and how are you going to know that? And it really the only, I mean, but people can do a lot of study about this. Huge libraries full of books have been written about this. But to try to figure out what, where is the source of, I say I have a right to life, or I have a right to a job, or I have a right to marry who I want to marry. Um, where does that come from? And the church's Christianity, it actually, <laughs> it's Christianity that's offered the only um, cogent explanation of that, that this is God's universe, that God made all of us, that God loves each and every one of us, and he loves us no matter what our skin color most likely Jesus was a dark skin color, right? He loves all skin colors and all nationalities, and we're all equal. We're all equal no matter how smart we are, no matter how skilled, no matter how talented. Fundamental way we're equal. And that's a truth that it was hard for man to come to see, but the fact that it sits so easily with us now, in a sense, that we, we almost feel like, I mean, many of these protesters, I mean, they, in a sense, they were willing to die for, um, for justice. That's a beautiful thing, that people love justice that much, right? That they put themselves at risk uh, to defend it. 
But you ask again, where does it come from? Um, and how do we know what it really is? How do we know what is really just? So the idea that a, a person is someone who's made in the image and likeness of God, right? And again, what does that mean? Again, it, it, it takes a lot of thinking, a lot of reading to work it out. But the church has basically said three things, um, that we're all rational, we're all free, and we're all meant to love and be loved. The third one actually makes more sense to the modern world than anyone else, anything else. And that's quite nice. It's quite nice. Uh, you want to say God made us, God is love. And if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we're meant to be like God. And God is a lover and God is meant to be loved. So we're meant to love and be loved. So you can go, you can take the whole Black Lives Matter situation, abortion, all of these things and say, what is the loving thing to do here? What is the loving thing to do? Now, that's not always clear because some things people thought were loving aren't loving. But these, it's not so hard to see that um, our, our black brothers and sisters um, deserve our love and that they greatly enrich our existence. God made so much diversity, really, because he didn't just make white people. He didn't just make black people. He didn't just make Jews and Asians, whoever else. He made lots of different kinds of people. And one thing you can say is that God loves diversity. He loves all the flowers and all the kinds of trees and all the animals. He loves them all. So, I mean, that's one thing I try to get the kids to see is that, that there really is God's world. And God's a God who loves diversity and uh, equality. But for us to sort of try to think we can make it up all on our own and then not do stupid things um, to know what are the parameters of things, that's where we really get lost. Yeah, so would I that think... work, Stacy, with your kids at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they get they get that it's and they're Texans now because we moved them here. They get that it's kind of like trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, if you don't have yeah, that but it, you know, if they say these things to their friends, their friends. It, uh, one experience I had when I was a college student, we had this one professor who was incredibly good at arguing things, and students would just go up to his office and talk out, and he would. They would argue against him, whatever it was, you know, equality. There is such a thing as justice. No, there's not. It's just a matter of opinion. And they'd go and argue with him for hours. And they would never, they would never uh, yield and say that he was right. But I'd watch these same kids go back to their dorm and use his arguments, the professor's arguments, against their fellow dorm mates because they knew they were stronger. <laughs> and so one thing of, of, you know, is helping your kids is to just get them to see or do, try to do it gently and try to do it reasonably but they're going to help their friends think. And before long, their friends might be coming to them <laughs> to asking, them, well, how do you make an argument for this, that, or the other thing? Yeah, I think what's interesting about uh, human rights and fundamental rights, like you said, you know, if the, if we depend on the government for them, then that, that implies that the government can take them away. You look at an, an organization like the United Nations, they had this, this brilliant idea to try and figure out a foundation for human rights so that something like World War II could never happen again, and they, they bring in religious thinkers, they bring in legal scholars, people from different cultures and backgrounds, but they're not willing to commit to it's God that's at the root of all of it. So however nice the founding charter of the UN is, it, it leaves that out, and then it, it disables them from being able to really effectively put justice into place. There's so many abuses that have, that have gone on throughout the world that the UN just kind of can't act on. Uh, because they can't get everybody to agree because they, they, they're, they're missing that foundational principle. Um, and so it, it's sort of like, you know, our, our culture today, we're able to see these things that we call rights, but if we don't remember where they come from, then 
how we pursue them becomes very, very problematic and, and difficult thing to, to sort of, you know, set a course for. One of the people who's very best on this is the uh, African-American uh, Alan Keyes. Uh, he has a PhD in economics from the London School of Economics, I think, it can't get any higher than that. He ran for president many years ago, and he, he has his own radio show, and he's brilliant. And he always starts out with the Declaration of Independence that says we are all endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And then he talks about these, and it's just beautiful. And you want to say that the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are, are two of the most beautiful documents that have ever been written. And then you have the sadness that we still had slavery at the time. Yeah. And we weren't living in accord with our own best principles and that we had to have a terrible war uh, to um, bring about the liberation of, of slaves. Uh, it should be an object of you know, great shame for us uh, that, that it took that um, to make that happen. Uh, and again, that's another thing your, your young people need to hear you say, you know, that um, you share their values on these things. Uh, that and that um, so finally we got, had the Civil Rights Acts uh, that finally uh, extended um, what should have been all along, which are by nature, which are fundamental God-given rights uh, to all sorts of marriage, et cetera, that voting that uh, um, black people did not have in our country. Uh, in fact, one of the, um, I think it's Shelby Steele, he says, he, he thinks everybody should read um, the Civil Rights Act. He said, it's one of the most extraordinary documents that's been written where a country acknowledges uh, what it's done that's been very bad. Uh, very few people, very few countries do that. It's almost like, you know, John Paul II apologized for certain things that the church had done um, in the past and kind of taking ownership of what it is that our, our country, we, we benefit from all the great things our country is. We should also be willing to acknowledge what it's done that is, is bad. So I think if you look at those documents, sometimes with young people, is to see that this is that it's enshrined in our fundamental documents of our country, even though we haven't been true to them. And, and that's right that Black Americans who are are not uh, getting, not not having their rights honored, they have every right uh, to make a fuss about that, and we should we should defend them. And I. I I've been thinking uh, um, just a lot about the the Black Lives Matter movement and even just, I have three younger sisters and I'm an old millennial. Um, two of my sisters are millennials and then I have my youngest sister, I guess, is Gen Z. And it's very fascinating to watch them process everything that's been going on and to have, we're having these conversations like in our, our family group chat and um, as a as a black family, you know, just even trying to to to, to process um, how to respond to these issues through a Catholic lens because, I mean, I think that's how we identify ourselves before anything else is that my, my Catholic faith should inform, um, you know, every the way that I, that I see the world. And I think um, as we're, as I watch my sisters um, discussing this and really kind of pushing back and just trying to to figure out where where they stand, and, and one thing that I think your article affirmed is that um, people are are there's so much anger right now, and we we see that in like the Black Lives Matter movement and and in the rioting. But at the core of it, it's like we we all have this fundamental understanding that we're made in the image and likeness of God, and we're just 
we're crying out that that's not that's not the reality of every single person. Um, so it's all, and I and I think your article did a good job of helping to remind parents to listen. Like, why are we so angry? Why why are so many people pushing back? Um, or um, in, in healthy and unhealthy ways, but it really gets back to that. Like, I know that, like, as, as, a, as a human person, I know that I'm, I'm created in the image and likeness of God, and I may not be able to articulate that um, in those words, um, but it's like we, we know that, they're, that everyone deserves better. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I, I think what is so important is you not, we not get the parents and family not get embroiled in like what's wrong with black lives um right you know global network that can mm-hmm. come that conversation has mm-hmm. to be had but it, you don't dive right in there and just get right. hammer and hammer and hammer at that uh one of my I, I do a lot of chatting on facebook and i hear all sorts of opinions some of them i don't like at all um and uh it's but it's important for me to know that people are, are thinking this and some of the individuals who posted when the conversation started, I had put up something about a, a young black uh, man who had, 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 you know, lived a pr- fairly privileged life, you know, went to Harvard and all of this. And one day he just started reflecting, though, upon his experience and how he always felt kind of like a token friend to everybody and how he had been stopped, as uh, almost every black man will tell you, been stopped driving somewhere where he was not doing anything suspicious at all. And just stopped because you know the, the cops are just suspicious and and checking in on things. And I had people just posting things like, "Oh, that doesn't happen," and uh, mm-hmm. "What do you expect?" and mm-hmm. and blah blah blah. I was stunned at the not. I'm not sure how much of it was prejudiced as it was kind of like a trigger that people don't want to think they've been privileged in any way, mm-hmm. and kind of refuse to to acknowledge the experience. Um, that people have had um gloria purvis has done a a, a, a yeah. podcast on the topic and you know she was talking about a time she went to a restaurant with a bunch of friends and the the maitre d at the restaurant didn't want to let her in this is in this is in the 20th century 21st century and you know you just want to say really can it be but we have to listen i mean those of us who i mean we I, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember 1960s. I can remember when there was a fight for civil rights and, and, and there was really, really obvious, very clear uh, discrimination in many meaningful ways, terrible ways against the African-American community. And then over my lifetime, I've seen huge improvements. I mean, I remember the first time you saw black people on TV in a, in a sitcom or something. It's like, well, how strange is that? <laughs> they're finally being recognized or you start seeing advertisers using blacks in um, black people in their advertisements. And, you know, so improvements have been made, but the fact that we celebrate something that should have always been the case, always makes me a little nervous. We should pat ourselves on the back for doing something, correcting a problem that never should have been there. But I have a feeling that so many of these people sort of say, well, we've come so far. Do we really have to go further? And is there still racism left? And you say, yes, listen, Listen, yeah. listen. Yeah, I was stunned. And a, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook here in Texas, just north of where we live up in Mineola, Texas. There was um, a cemetery behind, a, I think it was a Baptist church. There was a cemetery and they had a, they had a ceremony a few weekends ago 
to tear down the fence between the colored cemetery and the white people cemetery. Mm-hmm. And the fence was still there. And so there's, there's one side that, that, you know, I guess wasn't as nice and it had the, that's where the colored people were buried. And then the other side, it was still there. The wow. fence was there. And so they were taking that fence down and I did show it to my kids. I'm like, that's what we're talking about. There is still racism. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the liturgy gives us an important moment to, to reflect on these kinds of things at the very beginning when we say mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Mm. You know, it's so important for us as human beings, whether we've been directly part of these kinds of atrocities or not, to recall that, like, this is what we're capable of. And it's uncomfortable, and people don't like to think that we're capable of terrible things. Um, Fulton Sheen uh, said that, you know, the great difference between communism and Christianity is both Communism and Christianity advocate for violence, uh, but communism advocates for violence against others, and Christianity advocates for violence against the self. Mm. We have to fight against our own uh, sinful inclinations, and, you know, individually and then also communally. And I think that's just something that's lost in in a lot of the world when you don't have a a sort of a religious view, uh, a, a sacred view of what reality is, that, you know, sin is real. It's something that we're capable of. It's something that continues to happen, and it's something that you can't really eradicate altogether. You can improve. We can make improvements, like like Dr. Smith is saying, but that, that possibility of going back, of backtracking is always there, uh, just as much as there is the hope for going forward. Um, and it's, it's, it's painful to, to remember and to realize that about ourselves as, as people and as a community. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking about you know, some of those people on Facebook who were refusing to believe that black men get stopped at a, a disproportionate number of times and, and when they're not doing anything that would draw attention to what they're doing when they're driving or even walking um, in neighborhoods. And I, I think to some extent, there's, there is a good underlying sense of that. It's just like there, there, there's a kind of frustration. It's like, really? Haven't we stopped that yet? Mm-hmm. So they kind of refuse to believe it because they, they so much think it shouldn't be done, mm-hmm. but they, they have to realize it is happening. And it's, you know, we, it's so important to stop that. I mean, every person I know who has a, a black son uh, tells me they have to have that talk with him. They have to have a talk with him about driving and, and, and you know, putting your hands on the, the wheel and all sorts of things. And it's just like saying, oh, my, it hurts me. To, and to think about a kid walking through a neighborhood if he had a, ho- a black kid wearing a, a hoodie, that all of a sudden everybody thinks he's up to something, mm-hmm. you know, and you're thinking, you know, and, and I can't say that I'm free from that because that's what my culture is telling me. It's been telling me that this is what I should should do. And you're saying like, now it, it goes from, it, my mind now goes from, is he up to something to, why am I thinking that way? <laughs> you know, He's just a kid. He's a kid walking down the street. Um, yep. Anyway, so I, I think a lot of us have to do that self-examination loop that you're talking about. And we love to think we're free of it. We love mm-hmm. to think that we are. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. Part of our loving to think that we are is that we really want to be. I mean, we, we have a sense we know we shouldn't be. But I don't think um, we're always willing to do the hard work of asking, how am I responding? I Last night I watched, again, for the sake of the show, I watched... Um, we, um, we are the Titans, or it's Remember the Titans? Remember the Titans. Yeah. Remember the Titans. Yeah. Um, a remarkable movie. Um, and, you know, if, you, if certainly if you have kids that don't believe in prejudice, that's one that I have them watch. Um, and the hard work that needs to be done to overcome that. Um, 
and uh, yeah, just just a sense of um, how pervasive it was, and even people who didn't want to think they had it in their system, it would come out in different ways, and I'd have to look at it again and say, "Is do I really want to think that way? Is there something wrong with the way I'm thinking?" That's a remarkable movie. Um, it's it's quite fun to watch. So it's one I'd certainly watch with my children. Have that to- re- that reminds me of um, I. So when I found out we were doing this episode, I, I was like, "I got to read my Janet Smith." And uh, I, I pulled up your, your essays, your recently collected uh, essays here that I got at a conference. Uh, you have a chapter in here talking about John Paul II on natural law and personalism. Uh, that The natural law gives us sort of reason-based dictates that everybody ought to be able to follow. And personalism tries to challenge us to really embrace those in an enthusiastic sort of way. And so I think that here the similarity between like knowing that maybe there are some problems with racism, but not wanting to do too much about it because well it's not it's not me or it's that's that's it's not as bad as it was but but to bring a personalist angle into it is to what to listen to other people and to try and really powerfully identify with the truth of their own experience. Well, and I, I think I mean I know a lot of people now because of the tensions in our culture, they're doing simple things like you know if 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 a black person if you're white and a black person's walking by or something you really try to make eye contact. You know, yeah. and, and nod in some way and smile. Or at, at Mass, I live in a largely, uh, uh, Matt might where I go to church, so the, the neighborhood I live in, I actually think there's like five Caucasians in this whole neighborhood. It's so diverse. Um, but um, the church that I, I, I go to is all white and maybe a handful of African-Americans, but just trying to talk with them, greet them, walk over. And, and the Catholics don't do that to anybody. So it's, it's, weird. <laughs> it, it, it's weird no matter what, but it's, it's, a, it's a good weirdness. Um, you know, you just sort of bring down something uh, and, and you just sort of make a contact, that notion of a little bit of human contact and going out of your way just a little bit to um, try to break a tension or, or tear down a wall a little bit, I think is just any little thing like that is not to walk around and say, well, I don't know any blacks, and I don't live with any blacks and blah, 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 so I don't need to do anything. You say, well, whenever there's an opportunity to do something, you know, say something. If you hear anybody saying something that you think is, is prejudiced, that's, that's a huge thing is to call people out when they're, they're doing it and, and just say, you know, I, I don't know why you say those things, you know, I blah, 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 and try to be ferocious and angry which is very natural to, to get angry when someone's being insulted but what you're trying to do is move this person along and so you want to try to say do you really want to say that do you really think that and why would you think that what makes you say that kind of thing and this is the difference too between avoiding sin and pursuing virtue right like oh i'm not participating in it i'm not causing problems that's good enough but but that's really not good enough. You know, we're, we're called to so much more than that. Um, I think of, you know, all, all the work you've done on the virtues, you know, mm-hmm. how, how much that, that ties in with the Institute's uh, done in that mm-hmm. regard. Well, there's that amazing story of that African-American man who decided to start befriending men in the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he got a lot of them to turn around. Yeah. And it's just, that's one of the big things. I mean, one of my friends actually took his sons uh, to a Black Lives Matter uh, protest. Um, you know, he wanted to show them that people care deeply about these things and, and that this is important and that, um, yes, it shouldn't become violent and it, there shouldn't be looting and all of this, but that people want to demonstrate that they are, their rights are being trampled on. That's a good thing. 
and he wanted his, so we go to pro-life marches, you know, and you want to say, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. We think they're good things. So these protests, if they're, if they're protesting something legitimate, yes, and we should want to be there. And I, you know, some people said, why would you take your kids to that? They're going to get confused. (laughs) I said, no, I I complimented him. I said, oh my goodness, what a brilliant thing to do. Show you're not afraid of it. Show that you're not, uh, you know, that you don't have to buy into the whole thing in order to recognize what is right and just about this. You know, you talk to them uh, about it. And so I, it, it, it makes it not a forbidden thing, you know, and, and again, you're, you're signaling your, the sympathy that, that, that you do have and the, the sort of the common ground that you do have to say, but no, if this starts to get violent or there's any hint of looting or anything, we're out of here. We're gonna speak against that and that's wrong. But that there's something right about coming together as a group to make a public statement that um, your rights are not being recognized. I, I, I grew up in that generation. You know, we would, uh, you know, we would have sit-ins for chocolate milk in the cafeteria, you know, so, um, you know, that's our, that's our, that's in our DNA, if you will, to, to, to have a protest when something's wrong, but you have to understand what you're protesting and what are the proper limits of that. And it's gone crazy. It's gone crazy as we know. And it's not just the Black Lives Matter, it's Antifa and others, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what the church has always done. We, we, the church takes what, what is presented, like I, I think of the, the church fathers and St. Thomas Aquinas later, take what's presented in the culture and Christianize it, comb through it and recognize what's good and true and beautiful, mm-hmm. reject the things that are false and be ready to say why they're false, but then keep what's good. I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas tried to keep as much from Aristotle, the philosopher, as he could. Uh, He he went as far as he could, you know, and I think sometimes even too far (laughs) when it comes to science, but he he went as far as he could to understand what Aristotle was saying, and then he rejected certain things and said why those are not compatible with divine revelation. And that's, that's what we're called to do today. Well, I think, I mean, I, I, you know, I just wonder if we, if we'd all gone down to the, to the, you know, the protests and just started singing, you know, um, spirituals or amazing grace, you know, it would have changed the tone entirely. Um, the black community uh, is very devout for the most part and um, beautiful heritage of songs. Uh, and you can imagine how different things could be if we would approach things um, a bit differently. And, and I'm another one I'd, I'd really recommend that people, I'd certainly ask people to watch. Um, it, it was the movie Amazing Grace, the one about, uh, was that the name of it? The one about, about the, the hymn? No, about the, um, about getting rid of slavery from uh, oh. England to the United Yeah, Amazing Grace. Yeah. And the movie uh, Lincoln, both of those are very powerful movies to watch with young people. And then the new documentary, um, Uncle Tom. I think that is just fantastic. It's it's um, conservatives, uh, conservative African Americans, among them um, Herbert Kane, who just died. Uh, but his beautiful story is told in there, and uh, these are these are African Americans who don't buy the sort of. And, but believe me, I mean, and you have to be careful how you say this. They don't buy this sort of identification as being a victim. Not that they don't know that their rights have been trampled on all the time. They do, um, not all the time, but a lot. Um, but they do. But they, they don't want to let that be an obstacle any more than it is 
to their getting ahead. They want to believe in themselves. There was one, the man that starts out at, he's, he's, got, he's obviously got his own business. He's doing some sort of electronic work or something in this, this building. And uh, at the end of the, the documentary, he says, you know, I grew up, I, I didn't know I could own my own business. And he said, I thought I, if I was going to be a successful black man, you know, I either had to be an entertainer or, or an athlete. Um, but I didn't know I could own my own business. And then he said, when he saw some of these, uh, Larry Elder and Herbert Kane and others saying, no, 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 you can do it. There's nothing you can't do. And he said, I never heard that. Um, and he said, yeah, there might be some prejudice against me when I show up places, but knock on the next door and knock on the next door and knock on the next door and eventually one will open and you will, you will succeed. And again, the more that that happens, the less there will be that kind of prejudice. Um, because we'll all have known very successful uh, people. And it's most important for the young people to know that it's all, all possible. So it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful um, documentary. And, and they, don't, they, don't, they, 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 they pedal a little softly saying, you know, that um, conservatives don't do enough for the African-American community. I remember at the last, every election, you'll see at this election, every election before it, all the Republican candidates are going to say, you know, I'm going to go into the inner city and I'm going to do something great for Detroit. That's what they all said. They all had great plans for Detroit. And they last about, you know, until 10 minutes after the election. And then you never hear it anymore. It never happens. Um, and I'm not saying Democrats do any better because they certainly don't. But the, the fact is... Um, if the Republicans want to, and they should, I mean, it's not just a matter of getting votes. It's a matter of serving Americans. It's not, it shouldn't just be, we should, we should go out and serve the African-American community because we want votes. It should mm -hmm. be, no, this is a community. They're <laughs> our brothers and sisters and it's not right. I mean, I, I, in Detroit, uh, Detroit, you know, that I was trying to help this inner city family at one point and trying to find them a house and trying to find a house where the kids could get an, a decent education. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, if you could find a school that got a rating of four, that was amazing, you know? Most of them were down at the one or two levels. And you're saying, what chance do these kids have? So why aren't, why isn't every politician making this a priority? Yeah. That you want to improve these uh, schools for, for kids. Anyway, and you know, now it's not just the black community, it's there's poor whites and there's just poor Hispanics and you name it. But I, the street I lived on, they, they, my friends lived on, I lived on, the young people I was helping. Right next door, there's an immigrant family from Iraq. And um, they came with knowing no English and having no family. Somehow they managed to get here. And within a year, basically, they, they were making progress on buy, buying a better house. Uh, he had a job, uh, they were learning English. And it was because it was an intact family. You could just mm. see that the difference, and um, whether it's a non-intact family, again, no matter what racial or ethnic group it is, yeah. it's going to have a hard time, right? And so for us somehow to figure that out, um, somehow to figure out how to strengthen families, that's the surest way out of poverty is to, if it's an intact family that's in poverty, it has a much greater chance of getting out of poverty mm -hmm. Then if there's divorce or never getting married or yep. uh, someone leaving, <laughs> leaving people behind. Mm -hmm. Anyway. And, and in thinking about just, again, how we talk about this uh, with our teens or mm -hmm. uh, just those who are wrestling with these issues, I think it's important to affirm that, you know, it's not so much, I, I think 
we're living in such a chaotic time and a divisive time. And sometimes people think, well, it's a matter of, you know, choosing choosing one party over another and it gets very political. But ultimately, I mean, the Catholic response is getting back to the dignity of the human person and helping people to see the gift of the other. Because if we can understand that piece, mm-hmm. then that inf- that informs everything else uh, about how how we help people have equal opportunities to education and um, strengthening the family, all of that, that it really is about, I mean, ultimately like the heart of Jesus, <laughs> like just getting back to, mm-hmm. to those core values. Yeah. Well, Dr. Smith, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, at the end of each episode, uh, we try to do an into the chariot, sort of give one piece of advice um, sometimes collectively, sometimes uh, individually. Um, what would you say would be maybe just one piece of advice for, for trying to communicate this message to, to especially young people? Stay calm. Um, <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and, and do focus on your shared ground rather than your differences. Mm. And, and don't focus on why you're angry about Black Lives Matters and what they've done. But again, let that come in later. First establish of the common ground. Well, uh, where can people find more about you, Dr. Smith, these days? Where, where's the best, uh, the best way for people to keep in touch with what you're up to? Facebook, probably. I mean, you know, I, I post all day long. If you want to, if you want to see how I feel in the morning, you'll find out. I don't my feelings and I don't put pictures of food or pets but I uh, I do get obsessed with different um, topics and they'll sort of go to town on them for a while and there's lots of interesting discussions I do have a website janetsmith.org but it's hit or miss as far as um, how useful it is uh, a lot of free materials there some of my publications etc you can find keep trying to get that better but it just doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to trump Facebook as yeah. a face, place for me to just play around. If you uh, enjoyed this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, please share it with others. You can follow us on Facebook. Facebook is cooperating with us now, so we can say that again. Uh, Also see our website, www.stphilipinstitute.org, and you can follow us on YouTube. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I don't think I've missed anything else. Um, Again, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being a board member and also being here and having this conversation. Really a blessing to talk with you today. Well, I so much admire what you're doing. I, I think the uh, attempt to um, not just make Catholicism this just this, you know, like it's a it's a catechism, it's a book, but trying to bring it right in to the things that people are are struggling with, and to show that our church, if it doesn't have the exact answers, it has the the principles and values that help us find the answers, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch people wanting to do that. So thank you for being a part of it. Thank you, Dr. Smith.